Hello, and welcome to the Emergency Traffic Podcast. I'm your host, Paul. I've got my co-hosts, Doug and Dirk, with us tonight. And we're going to record an episode or two. So uh, remember, this is the podcast where we explore tragic line-of-duty deaths of firefighters and paramedics to learn from the ultimate sacrifices. These podcasts are usually a brief synopsis of the events we've obtained from official reports and published stories. We want to provide an easy and convenient method for today's firefighters to quickly learn lessons of past line-of-duty deaths and possibly prevent them from happening again. You can follow us on Twitter at podcasttraffic.twitter.com or email us with your comments at emergencytrafficpodcast at gmail.com and we now have a Facebook page called Emergency Traffic on Facebook. All right, this week's episode is going to be... uh, in March 26th of 2014, a 43-year-old career fire lieutenant and a 33-year-old firefighter died during firefighter operations in a multifamily residential structure known as a brownstone in Massachusetts. The fire department in question is a career fire department with 35 stations and 1,600 members of which 1,460 are uniformed members The department protects a population of approximately 646,000 people within an area of about 48 square miles. The fire suppression services provided by the fire department are firefighting, medical evaluation, vehicle extrication, hazardous materials response, confined space rescue, structural collapse rescue, trench rescue, and more. The department operates engine companies, ladder companies, and rescue companies each providing distinct separate services at a fire or other emergency. They operate 33 engine companies, 20 ladder companies, two tower ladder companies, two heavy rescue companies, nine district chiefs, two deputy chiefs, one marine unit, a tunnel confined space unit, two brush units, a hazardous materials unit, mobile air supply unit, rehab unit, and a mobile command unit, and a decontamination unit. The district chiefs and deputy chiefs are each staffed with incident command technicians as assistants uh, when they go to calls. Big department. The officer in question of engine 33 was hired by the fire department in December of 2004. He completed recruit training in April 2005 and was assigned to Ladder 15 as a probationary firefighter. He successfully completed his probation and was assigned as a firefighter to Ladder 15. He was then promoted to Lieutenant on April 3rd, 2012. His current assignment was a Lieutenant on Engine 33. The other firefighter that was tragically lost during this call was a firefighter from Engine 33. He was hired by the department in 2007, completed recruit school, assigned to a ladder as a probationary firefighter, completed probation, went to ladder two. His current assignment was a firefighter on ladder 15. He was detailed to engine 33 on March of 2014. That was pretty typical for a- Training system. Training and and, uh, recruitment. The way you get assigned, lots of departments uh, in the States assign a guy to a company rather than a a fire hall. So they usually are are mastering their one job that that company does, a ladder or an engine, something like that. Also very common to be detailed across the floor. I, I think Ladder 15 and Engine 33 are in the same firehouse. So very common when a, when a company's running short that a, another one has an extra guy, you detail across and right. ride that rig for the shift. Pretty typical. 
The structure involved the incident was called a brownstone. Brownstone is a common name for a variety of brown, red, pink, sandstone, widely used building materials from the mid-1800s until the early 1900s. In the city involved in this incident, the bottom floor of the ground stone was called the basement. The floor entered and the front steps is called the first floor. So often the ground floor or the bottom floor will be below that at the back. The bottom ground floor identified as a basement is different from most basements as there is usually access from the front and rear of the structure, access by interior stairs. More than half of the basement is above the street, street level. The layout of this particular building, the basement, uh, had two apartments, one in the front and one in the back, Alpha side and Charlie side. The first floor was previously two separate apartments, but had been combined into a single larger apartment at the time of the fire. The second floor had a similar floor plan as apartment number one on the main floor, and it was called apartment three. The third floor was made up of two apartments, apartment number five in the Alpha side, and apartment six in the Charlie side. The fourth floor is also made up of two apartments, apartment number seven on the Alpha side and number eight in the rear side, Charlie. Uh, with the exception of apartment one and apartment three, all the other apartments had only windows facing either the front or the rear, depending on the position of the apartment. The fire building uh, construction in this case was built in 1899 with a total living space of 6,000 square feet. That's almost what we call a McMansion these days, right? Uh, five floors, including a basement. When built, and it's in the middle of a block of a whole bunch of these. When built, the structure was designed as a single family dwelling. In 1974, the owner divided the building into apartments with one apartment on each floor and the second floor and two apartments on each, the basement, third and uh, fourth floor. So the first and second were one apartment and the other ones were two apartments. The main entrances to the apartments on the second through fourth floors were reached by a common interior stairwell. Secondary means of egress from the apartments on the first through fourth floors were provided by exterior fire escapes. These were all on the uh, Charlie side, the fire escapes, or were they at the front? On the Charlie side, yeah. And this one had a shed on the Charlie side as well, which is going to be a factor in the fire. In this incident, the firefighter and fire officer were wearing station work uniforms, turnout pants and turnout coats, helmets, boots, SCBA with integrated personal art safety systems. And note, though, at the time of the incident, this department did not mandate the use of uh, protective fire retardant hoods like Nomex or PBI or carbon. The weather conditions at 1454 hours was 34 degrees Fahrenheit. Visibility was 10 miles. Here's the critical factor. The winds were 32 miles an hour from the southeast. Winds gusted as high as 69 miles per hour during the fire. That was on the Charlie side, actually. The wind was coming from the Charlie side, pushing against the building from the back. Uh, on March 26, 2014, at 14.41 hours, Fire Alarm Office received 911 call report that the building was filling with smoke. At 14.43, they dispatched engine 33, engine 7, engine 22, ladder 24, ladder 26, rescue 1, and district 4. That was the uh, first alarm. Uh, there was uh, some differences between the ladder. The first two ladders didn't make it uh, because they were out for training and other things, but they ended up responding anyway. Uh, engine 33 arrived at scene at 1445 hours, so four minutes after the first call. 
parked in front of the fire building. The fire officer from 33 advised alarm office that engine 33 is in command. We have a four story with smoke showing from the first floor. Due to active and dynamic situation, plus the immediate life safety concerns of an occupied residential building encountered at this incident, engine 33 officer assumed fast attack mode as the command mode. Engine 33 lieutenant and engine 33 pipemen or nozzlemen, right jump seat firefighter, stretched an inch and three quarter hose line from the engine up the front steps and into the first floor. A civilian was coming out down the front fire escape. So there's a fire escape on the front. While the engine 33 was making their stretch. Engine 33 chauffeur charged the inch and three quarter line as engine 33 moved down the steps into the rear basement apartment. At 14.45, car 4 arrived on scene and assumed command from the officer of engine 33. Car 4 established command in front of engine 33. Firefighter assigned to the front left jump seat of engine 33, the first arriving engine, was preparing a four-inch four supply line when a female civilian told him that someone might be in the basement apartment. The firefighter took a halligan tool and went down the exterior steps and into the front basement apartment. The firefighter forced two doors and entered the front basement apartment. The firefighter came out of the apartment and met with command who was in the street. The firefighter advised command that the fire was in the rear basement apartment and a hose line needed to be deployed to the basement. Engine seven arrived on scene, 1447, so very all very close together, from the east and parked facing engine 33 in the opposite direction laid a four inch supply line from the hydrant on the corner and ran a two and a half inch supply line to engine 33 to supply them with water. Engine 33 was entering the front door as engine seven arrived on scene. The crew officer and two firefighters from engine seven pulled the two and a half inch hose line to the front steps. Engine seven stretched a two and a half inch hose line up the front steps following engine 33's charge engine three quarter as engine seven moved the hose line toward the stairs, the conditions started to change and the first floor became extremely hot. The nozzleman or pipeman from engine seven asked engine seven officer to call for water. The conditions became untenable and engine seven left the building. As engine seven pulled the two and a half inch hose line out of the building, the hose was burned. At approximately 1449 hours, engine 22 responded to, box, to the box as the third due engine. Engine 22 laid a four inch supply line from a hydrant in the previous block, arrived on scene at 1448 hours, which I think was only five minutes or so, four minutes after the first engine, right? Parked behind engine seven. So we're getting quite a, a bunch of trucks in the front of the building here. The chauffeur pulled the 200 foot, two and a half inch hose line to the front walkway of the fire building. The captain and run, right front jump seat firefighter from engine seven took the two and a half inch hose from the first floor with the hydrant firefighter from engine 33, which was the first arriving one that went to the basement to, to found the fire in the basement. At the same time, rescue one and engine 37 were pulling an inch and three quarter hose line through the front door, down the steps and into the basement. All companies were forced out of the building at this point due to rapid progression of fire conditions. The engine 22 hydrant, the firefighter went back to engine 22 to pull another two and a half inch hose line when conditions changed rapidly. Ladder 24 arrived on scene at 1448, parked behind engine 33. On the Alpha side, captain and two firefighters entered the first floor fire building. Ladder 24 crawled down the hallway to the stairs going to the second floor. The captain of Ladder 24 stated they were engulfed in black smoke and the heat increased. 
which forced them out of the building. Crews had to pull the captain of Ladder 24 out of the building. At the same time, the chauffeur from Ladder 24 put the aerial ladder to the roof. He went to the roof and vented the roof. Ladder 26 arrived on scene at 1448 as well, parked on side Charlie, directly behind the fire building. So we got a ladder at the, in the back now. The captain of Ladder 26 observed the rear door of the maintenance shed was open and fire in the shed. The captain advises crews do not break any windows. Captain radioed command and asked for water on the Charlie side, but was unable to reach command due to radio traffic. He instead called fire alarm office dispatch and advised that fire was showing on the first floor at the rear of the building. He requested an engine company on the Charlie side for water. Captain of Ladder 26 then forced his way through Exposure Bravo, so the next door exposure, to get to the Alpha side. Captain of Ladder 26 met with command on the Alpha side regarding the need for water on the Charlie side. Several members of Rescue 2 pulled the two and a half inch hose line through Exposure Bravo to side Charlie to the rear. Captain of Ladder 26 re returned to side Charlie and entered the rear apartment through a window. He went in with crews from Ladder 17 and Rescue 2. Prior to entering the structure, a rapid progression of fire conditions occurred. Other rapid progression fire conditions occurred while they were operating in the rear basement apartment. The time is approximately 15-11 hours. Rescue 1 arrived on scene at 14-47 hours before all that happened, parked at the intersection behind Tower Ladder 3. Rescue 1 was assigned to assist companies making entries on the Alpha side. As Rescue 1 was approaching the scene, smoke conditions changed drastically from the time of arrival. Smoke conditions changed from brown to thick black smoke. Rescue 1 entered the basement with Engine 37. Due to the tremendous heat, both companies were forced out of the basement. Rescue 1 moved to the rear side Charlie of the fire building, made entry into the rear basement apartment. The time was 1511 again. At 1448, command ordered a second alarm which included a district chief, an engine, two engines, three engines, two ladders, and another rescue. 1449 hours, Lieutenant from 33 called engine 33 and said, charge the line. These are the first guys that had gone in. After his radio transmission, command ordered all companies out of the building. A Lieutenant radioed Mayday at 1449. The Lieutenant said, engine 33 has a Mayday in the basement. At 1450 hours, Dispatcher advised engine 33 to charge the hose line. So the dispatcher was monitoring and trying to help transmissions. At 1451, the lieutenant from engine 33 called and said, we need water now, charge engine 33's pipe. At 1451, fire alarm office moved fire ground operations to TAC 3. TAC 2 was being assigned for the mayday. At 1452, the lieutenant from Engine 3 radioed fire alarm officer and said, both of us are trapped in the basement towards the front of the building. We got the water, but my line is burnt through. Do you have, you have to got to charge our hose line. Command advised fire alarm to have the fourth alarm and fifth alarm companies respond to the rear of the building. At 1500 hours, Engine 10 laid a supply line from Engine 4 to the Charlie side. So this is actually the first pumped water on the Charlie side. First attempt to enter the basement from the rear of the building, they had three two and a half inch hose lines operated by engine 10, engine four, engine 24, and rescue one, attempting to locate the fire officer and the firefighter from engine 33. Crews from ladder 26, ladder 15, ladder 17, tower ladder three, and engine 42 were operating at the rear of the building at this time. The officer of rescue one notified command seven of hearing a pass alarm as he exited the building. 
Crews were only able to get about 5 to 10 feet into the apartment when rapid progression of fire conditions continued to occur in the basement of the first floor. Crews exited the building, regrouped, re-entered the basement apartment. The time was 1506. Crews re-entered the building and continued to search for the missing lieutenant and firefighter from engine 33. Crews were operating at about 25 feet into the rear basement apartment. At 1509 hours, the 6th alarm and 7th alarm were dispatched. Command ordered defensive operations on the Alpha side due to the severity of fire conditions at 1550 hours. Division Charlie com contacted command regarding whether firefighters were still missing. The fire commissioner advised that a member was unaccounted for in the basement. Rescue 2 found the firefighter from engine 33 in the rear basement near the kitchen. The firefighter was, recovered, uh, was covered in debris. Members from Rescue 2 moved the firefighter from, the end, from engine 33 to the rear window and they picked him up and put him on a stretcher at the rear window. Shortly after the first firefighter from Rescue 33 was removed from the structure, Command 7 allowed two companies, 21 and Engine 21 and Rescue 1, to re-enter the rear basement apartment for approximately 30 to 60 seconds to listen for the pass alarm from Engine 33 Lieutenant. When no device was heard, they ordered companies back out of the building due to the severely deteriorating conditions. The fire was unintentionally started by welders who were installing a railing on the left side staircase at the rear entrance of a Delta exposure next to the fire building. The welders started work at approximately 1230 hours at approximately 1430. The occupant of the apartment number 10 heard the building's fire alarm activate. The occupant walked out of the apartment and went up the steps to notify the occupant in apartment number one, which was on the main floor. Apartment number 10 called 911 at 1441. Another occupant telephoned the building's maintenance supervisor, advised him of the smoke in the building. The welders realized that the shed behind the fire, fire building was on fire. They attempted to extinguish the fire with water and snow. Due to the wind, the smoke extended into the fire building. At 1445, the maintenance supervisor arrived and parked on the Charlie side. So while fire was responding, essentially, uh, rear parking lot of the fire building. He went to the rear of the building due to the fire apparatus blocking the entire side alpha. He noticed smoke coming from the shed and went to open the back exterior door going into apartment number 10. He placed his key in the door and opened the door approximately three inches. The maintenance supervisor said when he opened the door, fire came out at me. The maintenance supervisor also stated that he could see fire through the window of the interior door to apartment 10. Maintenance supervisor left the door open and moved back to the parking lot. Engine 33 had entered the fire building through the front door and moved the hose line into the stairwell to go down into the basement or first floor apartments. The rear basement doors and the front doors open. The fire had a flow path from the basement up the stairs to the first floor and the floors above. This occurred after the interior rear door or window leading to the hallway basement failed. Wind has been recognized as a contributing factor to fire spread in wildland fires and large area conflagrations. Wildland fires are trained to account for wind in their tactics. While structural fire departments have recognized the impact of wind on fires, generally the standard operating procedures for structural firefighting have not changed to address the hazards created by a wind-driven fire inside a structure. Made me think of the uh, a small town in central Alberta that had a house fire and I saw pictures of it. I, I got dispatched to the fire, but again, it was a very windy day. They had patio doors on the back of the house 
the uh, people exited the front of the house. The patio doors failed. It was a barbecue fire, I believe. Mm-hmm. Were you there, Doc? I was there, yeah. Yeah, and it was right near the gas station or something. Yeah. And we had some, somehow we had video from before and after, mm-hmm. and it was like minutes, and the house was completely incinerated. I couldn't believe how fast the progression was as soon as those doors failed yeah. and the front door was open and the house was gone. It was yeah. just a normal, you know, ordinary type five construction house, you know, mm-hmm. but it was crazy. And then there was a, a, a line of duty, double line of duty death in Texas. I looked it up again today because I remembered it in 2009. And it was a house that was on a lake lot and the firefighters went in the front door and soon after they were in the front door under poor conditions, uh, the patio doors failed. They did not do a 360 because of the terrain. It was a great separation and it was difficult to get around. They just went in the front door. Those patio doors failed and both those firefighters were killed in the in the front hallway, you know, from the wind-driven fire. So it made me think of those. You were on that black vault or that one in, in central yeah, Alberta? Yeah, I was mutual aid we were there, yeah. Right. Um, Results from no wind and wind fire simulations, wind conditions can rapidly change the thermal environment from tenable to untenable for firefighters working in a single story residential fire or a multifamily residential structure fire and even high rise fires. The simulation results emphasize the importance of including wind conditions in the scene size up before uh, beginning and while performing firefighting operations and adjusting tactics based on the wind conditions according to the National Institute for Science and Technology Research. They've done a lot of research on this. Adjusting firefighting tactics to account for wind conditions and structural firefighting is critical to enhancing the safety and effectiveness of firefighters. Studies have demonstrated that applying water from an exterior upwind side of the structure can actually have a significant fire on controlling the fire prior to beginning interior operations. On the other hand, uh, from the exhaust of the fire, it can have not very little effect. Uh, firefighters should check for wind conditions in the area of the fire, look for pulsing flames or flames not exiting a window opening because the wind is pushing it in, examine smoke conditions around closed doors within the potential flow path, maintain control of doors within the flow path, and even if flames are being forced out of adjacent windows with high amount of energy, there could be still sufficient energy flows on the fire floor to create a hazard for firefighters. And I think I have a note to it a little bit later on, but Mississauga had a fire in an apartment building on like, I don't know, fairly high up, 20th floor, 14th floor, something like that. And the apartment was a heavy fire load condition type apartment. And I know that in the end, they could not enter the apartment. They tried and tried and tried. And eventually they had like two or three, two and a half inch lines and a little mini monitor spraying water into the apartment just to control the hallway and to try to get into the apartment. So it's just when you're, if you're downwind and you're in the chimney, right? Uh, uh, Data from research will also help identify firefighting tactics to improve safe operating procedures for the fire service and enhance fire fighter safety, improve fire ground operations, and to encourage the wind of wind control devices. So I think what they're referring to here in wind control devices is the, uh, the curtains. Fire curtains from the out, or, or on the outside, like not a tarp. The, not the smoke curtain that you put not in the doorway, the, oh. but they're gonna go on the floor above, gonna lower it on the roll, and then roll it out in front of the window, basically shutting down that intake. Yeah. Right, do you guys have any of those or yeah. anything like no. that? The have you seen some? I know that has them is New York. New York has some? Yeah, I yeah. don't know if, but the, the 
downfall to them is you have to be above the fire right to deploy to put it over the window so you're going in if it's a bad fire or rapidly deteriorating right. fire now you have to go to like the most dangerous area above the fire right and deploy it so right. apparently it's a pain in the ass too to deploy I mean, it cleanly right because if it's windy it and you want to roll it down want to go anywhere. it might get hung up and stuff yeah, like I, the one i've seen some pictures of them they're pretty big right so right. get it up there and then no, wouldn't wouldn't the, the 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 door thing work? Well, the door thing might work to prevent the fire from going out, but they done no. tests on it, and you have to you have to double if it's a wind driven fire, and you want to control that doorway, you have to double the smoke curtain even because uh, okay. it will be pushed it's open. Pushed right? It's open. not fixed right. in place, it's right? It's just hanging so, there. So you have to double them, and then still you're still going against that that current. The wind right? is pushing it. Uh, and this the tests on that. I think when when you go and uh, read the study or, or just look at the video, um, they show some of those curtain devices right. that may or may not work. They also recommend the use of a below the below the fire floor nozzle. That's something New York uses to uh, go up. Basically, to, the an, fire compartment. to a transitional attack, but you're in the high rise, so right. you go to the floor below, right. and it's basically just a, like a, I don't know, like 90, uh, 120 something right. degree nozzle, nozzle and that hits goes around. The perfect yeah. angle, like we were supposed to do a transitional, right? I've also I attended a class somewhere, and they talked about going into the fire apartment from the other side, from the next door, punching through the wall, yeah. trying to get some, some water into it just to cool yeah. the space. As long as you stay out of the float path, it's great about right, it, right? Right. And then there's, uh, when they had this big fire in, uh, I think the Empire State Building, uh, G. Vincent Dunn was writing a book about that. They had to bring in two and a half lines and couldn't right. even make the push down the hallway because it's the, the wind driven fire. Yeah, yeah I know, uh, I think Chief Bill Stewart, he was the chief of Mississauga years ago, mm -hmm. and he uh, and he spoke at one of the conferences about this fire they had in a, in a big, uh, apartment building in, in Mississauga and the, how they just couldn't get into it. I saw they showed pictures and everything. So yeah, you know, flow path composed of at least one inlet opening, one exhaust opening, the connecting volume between the openings. The direction of flow is determined by the difference in pressure, heat, smoke, and high pressure area will flow through the openings towards area of low pressure based on very building designs and available ventilation openings, doors, windows, etc. Several flow paths can exist within a structure any operating any operation conducted in the exhaust portion of the flow path will place members at significant risk due to the increased flow of fire, heat, smoke toward their position. And it probably doesn't stratify either okay. if it's going out that exhaust outlet. I always relate this to a wood stove. Yeah. But a lot of people haven't operated a wood stove. But, you know, if you open the intake to a wood stove and the exhaust is open, it's going to go like crazy. If you close the exhaust or limit the intake, it's going to slow down. Um, it's weird that firefighters know that when they operate a stove or a campfire. Right. But then we don't relay that to a structure fire. When we get to the structure. Yeah. Exactly. So firefighters must be aware and understand that the critical first step in evaluating potential fire for a wind impacted fire is recognition of smoke movement and the flow path, the wind speed. Uh, where is smoke being forced under doors, pulsing, etc.? The incident commander and company officers must be notified immediately when any of these conditions are observed. Communication of this critical information to incident command and company officers operating inside a building must be acknowledged. Due to the doors, in this case on side Charlie, being left open or failing, the interior door at the top of the basement stairs was also left open. 
the front doors on site alpha being left open by the occupant fleeing the fire, an unrestricted flow path was created from the basement to the first floor and the floors above. The fire hose that engine 33 deployed was impacted by the fire and heat generated by the flow pass. Uh, now, this came, I was on NFP in 1962, soon after this incident, and it did come up. And I know uh, NISC, I believe, or somebody was, no, it was a university in Massachusetts, I can't remember the name. They were doing a big study on how many hose failures there's been and all that kind of stuff. And while the heat and fire did cause the fire hose to fail, uh, it wasn't the leading cause of these fatalities. It was a contributing factor. Of course, you lost the hose line. A hose has changed. The hose we're using today is not the hose that we had when I started. We had, you know, the heavy cotton hose and it lasted forever, but it was heavy and it was wet and you had to dry it. We've all gone to hose you don't have to dry. It can't mildew, it can't rot because it's 100% synthetic. Like everything else, if it's synthetic, it may be more susceptible to heat. Yeah. The NFPA, the current of the time NFPA heat test was a hot piece of iron or metal placed on top of a hose and it had to not burn through or rupture or anything like that. Some other jurisdictions, Europe and stuff, have different tests and I know there was lots of discussion at the committee, should we change the hose test? I wasn't on the committee anymore, so I don't know what's happened. I haven't really followed it, but definitely is. Uh, the, and they've done lots of tests. It's not a bad idea. I know I remember this from the committee meetings to wet the hose before you go in. It might buy you a little bit more time. Uh, there was cases of hose just melting on, on door sills and on the railings, metal railings. And if they're really hot, uh, there's been some cases of, of that happening as well. The contributing factors that led to this tragic event, they talk about delayed notification to the fire department. And you see this so often with bad fires, right? The workers tried to put it out themselves. They didn't even call the fire department. It was the occupant that smelled the smoke and said, hey, we need the fire department. Uncontrolled ventilation by a civilian, occupied residential building with immediate life safety concerns, heavy occupancy. You've got one building here with one, two, three, six. four, five, six, seven, eight apartments. Well, pretty old city too. Who knows? It wasn't right. built to hold that many people. No, no, it wasn't it's designed that way. Subdivided, subdivided right. many times. Right, and this is a huge problem on the yeah. east coast of North yeah. America. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's Montreal, Toronto, or Boston, or New York, right? Uh, and not just there. I mean, any anywhere city yeah. in North yeah. America is having these problems. Yep. Staffing, although they had oh, lots they had, of staff. I mean, there was staff. fire I was wondering in other years. They're riding four firefighters, so right. officer and four. Driver, two firefighters no, in the back. No, right? no, an officer nope. and three. Officer, officer and three. Officer and three. Yeah. So, yeah. on the engines, anyway. Yes, yeah. but yeah. there were only two guys going in. The officer, right. the pipe man, right. the other guy stayed He grabbed the hydrant. You grabbed the hydrant. So but then he heard the civilian, so he went on his own. So, they went right. in with two. So, three, which might have saved that guy's life, the, because he got the water. But generally, how does staffing affect this situation? We did that other podcast with uh, Porterville. Yeah. Again, three men on the engine, and you know, or they then they only had three men, so two guys went in on their own, and you know, it's hard to get much done if it's just two of you. Yeah. You know, I mean, lots of guys are in good shape and stuff like that. Firefighters, not guys, firefighters, guys, well, girls, whichever. But with only two people, it's tough. Yeah. If you have a tick, who's holding the tick? Who's holding the axe? Who's dragging the hose line? Who's doing whatever? It's really hard when you only have so two. In that case, when they say contributing factors, staffing, it's probably not 
the total amount of staff is the way they used it. I mean, I'm thinking like, so. We'll, we'll get into obviously that. Obviously, they had recommendations, four guys on, the, on each trick, which is which a is, dream for a lot of which departments. Is right. right, yeah. I mean, here in Alberta, we have lots of departments with three men on the engine. And it's like, you better hope you have two or three engines show up. Something that stands out to me with this is every engine's doing their own thing. They're all showing up and getting their own hydrant, stretching their own hose with their crew. No one's helping the first in engine with it, their hose line. Yeah, it, yeah. They're all just, I, I, I don't know if that's standing operating procedure for this fire department or. I think they but, touched on it a little bit and maybe because it's so complex, we didn't get all the transmissions between. Sure, this just, is, we're just reading from the NIOSH report between command and each of the units. Did they do it on their own? Like the uh, the ladder, the second ladder in went and ventilated the roof, the chauffeur. Yeah. Went up and ventilated the roof, right? Which is normal. They're, these are these are ladders. They're truck companies. They don't have pumps and stuff on them. They're doing search is, rescue ventilation. And this is also a few years ago, but a few, but not a lot. Yeah, no, a few seven, years eight ago. years ago. Yeah. Now. I know a lot of fire departments now that the first two engine companies are on one hose line. Right. And it just seems it still or, stands out to me it seems odd to or have, two hoses on the same truck to have two or three at four engines all show up all grab their own hydrant and all stretch their own line right and it seems like it's it's there's nothing coordinated well the it's second just, line the second engine didn't they the second engine grabbed the hydrant and they pumped the line to the first engine they laid a 65 I, between the two yeah which, which that, that's normal well but why, i don't to wanna, give that front engine water because he had a line going in the house before he ran out but why why go through your engine? Why well, not the just engine, the put line, your line. supply line into the first engine? Maybe, yeah. It, it just seems. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plug it, it in the other truck. There's the yeah. problems that only stretch from their rig or drive or past. Or their hose. Or right. drive past, like I've done that, where you're already set up, you got a line pulled. I'll drive past. I'll go to the hydrant. I'll pump to you. Even give you more yeah, water, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, size up of the scene, lack of hydrants on the Charlie side because it actually was a private street, not an alley. Uh, lack of training regarding wind-driven fires, unrestricted flow path, and lack of a fire sprinkler system, of well, course. It's an old building. It's highly unlikely that they're going to be sprinklers. Although when Unless they converted they it to an apartment in 74... In 74, they didn't need sprinklers. But they didn't push sprinklers no, yet. I'm pretty sure. And the unrestricted flow path... Could they have prevented that by maybe closing a door again? Right. That's the thing, so and that's the whole slicer thing is control the door, right? But you're, you know, how many departments do you know that they're controlling that door yet? They're I mean, they've done it in the videos, they've done it in the training. Is it really happening where you're bringing that door night, shut again? You fall back to right. Sure. The you prop the door up with the halogen and off you go, right? Yeah. Um, you know, recommendation number one, fire department should define fire ground strategy and tactics for an occupancy based on the organization's standard operating procedures as part of incident action plan. Incident commanders should ensure direct scene, detailed scene size up and assessment occurs during the initial fire ground operations, including the deployment of resources to the Charlie side. Scene size up and risk assessment should occur during, throughout the incident. This is similar to some we've seen before where they didn't have a good eye on the fire from the back. They just, hey, we got some smoke. We're going in the front door. And, and those buildings, like all those row houses you see in Boston. You can't get around New York, them. You have to walk three blocks to get around right, it, right? Right, yeah. But if the, if the chief would have went to the back, the engine was at the front, they would have had a scene. Or the second engine went to the back. But they or didn't. the roof man. Get on the or roof the, and go look at the back. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, in this incident, the initial scene size up and evaluation was made by Engine 33 as the first alarm companies arrived all on the side Alpha. The officer of 33, based on life safety issues and smoke showing, made the decision right away to initiate offensive attack, which is, hey, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, the first fire department unit on Charlie's side was Ladder 26, which was after interior firefighting operations had started. It is essential that during the initial stages of an incident, at least one company, preferably an engine, is designated to the Charlie side of a structure, even if a 360 walk around is conducted. This ensures that command has a complete initial assessment of the fire ground, continuous risk assessment, and a situation report from side Charlie. And it makes sense, which he didn't and especially have. with an engine. Like, they pull up with a ladder that has nothing. Yeah, and they had it's lots of engines. And they had lots of engines, but nobody went. And that was, I saw this from one of the, uh, from the um, pictures they had there. Yeah. There was only that engine, uh, that right. ladder there. Right. Like the, the engines came way And they were the piled incident. on top of each other on yeah. the front street. So oh, yeah. But there seemed why? to be a lot of room there. I don't know, right? right. Recommendation two was fire department should ensure once command is established that the incident, incident commander maintains control of status, resource status, and communications, plus ensures the completion of the tactical objectives. They talk about this as they didn't follow the eight functions of command as established by Brunacini, of course, in the fire command textbook, which is, you know, assuming command, effective and ongoing situational awareness of the incident, effective communication plan, uh, they had radio channels and stuff changing around. Incident objectives from the situational assessment, strategy and tactics, deploying available resources and requesting additional. Well, they requested lots of resources. Mm -hmm. Developing an incident organization for the management. Really what they get to here is, uh, is um, they had an incident technician to help the chief officer that showed up. Um, but uh, car four, like 40 seconds after the engine, the, the chief arrived, assumed command. There was no communications with the officer of 33 to car four during the transfer of command. So they didn't talk, they just did their thing. Uh, and next resources didn't arrive on scene to 1448, so three minutes. Um, next communication from engine of 33, uh, 33 was at 1449 when he called to charge the hose line, he was in the basement. Of course, he went in without a charge hose line. So that's another, you know, discussion point. Right. Uh, well, but he ran into people coming out too, so. But if you're only with two guys in the hose line, it, you'll stretch and drive. You I, right. wet, I mean, you're not going to stretch that. Right. I don't think there, it's that uncommon when uh, a chief's arriving, taking over command from an operating unit. And they see each other. Or not. Or I mean, not. The, the officer of the engine's in there. But then everybody needs to know fire. who's in command. Sure, but my point is... You show up as a chief and you say car four unseen assuming command from you. Mm -hmm. He's in there working. He's not going to give you a paragraph of what's going on. You don't he's, need a paragraph. He's going to say 10-4 chief, your command, and I'm doing fire attack. And uh, this is and, what I'm doing. Which the chief should have heard on the way in. Yeah, it, it, sure. Yeah. But I don't I don't think it's that uncommon or... I mean, it, it seems realistic to me that if you're... On mobile command, and you're I'm going in. finding the fire or working right. without the fire, yeah. and you hear on the radio, the chief's here, he's in command, all you're going to say is, okay, you're But they command. should talk. Yeah. But I get not talking. You're bit, Especially, we've just been saying, there's yeah. only two of you two. in there. There's yeah. only two in there. And if if the officer that assumed command and went on quick attack did not give a size up to incoming rigs, 
that would have been more of a reason for the chief to ask for an update. Right, right. But if but that he officer he gave a size up, smoke or whatever, then the chief only has to say, I'm taking command, and that's it, because they, he knows they're going to work hard. So he's not going to have interest in what's going on on the inside. He knows there's an officer in there and a firefighter fighting the fire. So I, I'm they, not sure if that would be... He didn't get a Charlie. That's the big thing. Is like, oh, that commander didn't get a Charlie. But, like, we it's talked in the other pod, podcast we just did a little while ago, and these brownstones and row houses... You can't get around them. It's You're not walking around no, a single-family no, no. dwelling Someone's into drive. the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You're going around the block, and in these big cities, the block could be... And there's some big cities that, have, that don't have an alley. The dead end. So, or, you you, know. the, the Charlie side could be their building. So, right. what are you right. going to see back there? I like that they went to the... Uh, Bravo exposure, the, the neighboring house. Right, through it. Through there, Take right? the hose, let's so, go. And, yeah, to stretch, but th at the same time, that chief could have gone and, through but, a neighboring house, go to the Charlie side. But why did that happen? Because Ladder 26 saw the fire in the back, yeah. and he says, I got to get to the front. They're not listening to me on the radio. I'm going to go through there. And he broke through there, and he went to the officer, and he says, we need water. Okay, great. Hump a hose through the building. The other thing is, we skimmed over at the beginning, Ladder 26 was the first ladder there. Yep. Should have been the third due ladder because ladder 15 was, was out late. of service. They were late. Yeah, they were doing training or something. So if that's ladder 15's first due area, they might know that building way better. Right, yeah. And they might know we have to do this, we have to do that. Mm -hmm. Where the company's coming from farther away, Right. It's not they, don't, they're not, they don't have intimate knowledge, especially in these the departments that you get assigned to a company and you stay at that company. For a long time. For as long as you want. Yeah. You don't travel around the city and, and get to know different neighborhoods. So that could have been a factor on how things happen. Not knowing Boston, if they are they have Where? that truck. Massachusetts. This unnamed city. Oh, there's unnamed, everybody else is in freaking Boston. <laughs> um, but generally, when they have truck companies, truck trucks don't fight fires, right? They, they the firefighter and the officer both spent most of their career on a truck. Right. And he was Well, the firefighter was yeah. on a truck. Detailed for the day. That's what he was detailed for the day. He scooted yeah. over. Yeah. So we don't know how much experience they actually had as an interior firefighting right. unit. Right. It, it was Which it was matter because as soon as they opened the doors, the fire's going for them. It was surprising to me on this rundown that it said that the rescue company was stretching a hose line. Right, right. So everybody like pitched in because they knew that we had a problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It talks about recommendation number three: developing and implement SOPs for for uh, wind-driven fires. Uh, upon arrival, the conditions appeared to re, re. Oh, so experienced fire officers and firefighters who have survived wind-driven fires have all described the following factors: upon arrival, conditions appeared to be routine. With, within seconds, fire, heat, smoke conditions change without warning from routine to life-threatening immediately. I've heard that many times in these. The uh, operating a six, two and a half inch hose line flowing from the downwind position or into the exhaust portion of the flow had little to no effect to the incredible heat being produced. Flowing water into the intake or inlet side of flow path is very effective. And then I, that's where I wrote about the Mississauga apartment incident. They had... I think the chief said three or four, two and a halfs, and a little mercury blitz fire monitor in the doorway of this apartment, and it had little to no effect. We had yeah. a, a, the city here where I worked, I remember talking to a captain that was on fire attack for a fire in a, I mean, it was a, a high-rise apartment, but the fire was on the ninth floor, 
and it was a balcony fire. But with, on a very windy day, and yeah. they came in the public hallway. Right. And he said it took, like, everything in that crew to get that door open to get in the suite. Right. The pressure. And one window on the sliding glass door was failed. Yeah. And one didn't. Right. One pane of glass didn't. Which reduced it. And I said, like, if could you imagine open. if both of right. those... Yeah failed like we'd be having a different conversation here exactly and we would have had a way you would have had a way different fire right. to deal with yeah we, he got lucky that it mm -hmm. they got there before it failed yeah well that's the next line on here they say attacking fires with one or even two two and a half inch hose lines proved ineffective and ultimately led to firefighters incur occurring serious injuries according to uh, studies that fdny did in 2013. Uh, Wind-driven impacted fire conditions exist in a structure. The incident commander should notify the dispatchers that this information is relayed to all responding units. Incident command needs to make an announcement on the tactical channel as well, again from the FDNY. Uh, Wind-driven wind speeds exceeding 10 miles per hour, 16 kilometers per hour. The incident commander, group supervisors, company officers, firefighters should use caution and take wind direction into account when selecting a strategy and, direct, and uh, directing tactics. Recommendation number two, ensure adequate staffing for deployment to urban incidents involving high hazard occupancies with a concentrated population. So this might give credence to uh, some cities are running like the five man truck in the densely populated area or, or engine I mean uh, to the uh, to the densely populated areas. Well, I believe that's what NFPA recommends. Is a, is a the, bigger crew. The, yeah. the four man four-person company is for mm -hmm. a house fire yeah and the studies that they did about f three versus four versus five about right. water on the fire right uh, i think it said for a, a single family dwelling four versus five wasn't much different mm -hmm. but when you start getting the high-rise fires right. then it's a huge difference to population have, yeah to have the fifth for uh, fire operation and for uh, search as well yeah yeah and just treating people and everything look at the we talked about at supper you know the the, the fire in New York and what do you say you know the, the people they pulled all these people out of there and everybody's doing CPR yeah, waiting yeah. for the ambulance to show up right yeah, all they didn't need manpower to fight the fire because right. that wasn't bred by the fire right it was except the for the victims. smoke spread it was right. the yeah I mean that fire the fourth alarm the chief told the fourth alarm engine companies don't bring your firefighting gear to the fire. Bring right. your medical bring gear. Bring your medical gear. It wasn't a, It wasn't the fire. It was the it was amount the, of people on the smoke. Right, that were affected by the smoke. And it's the smoke that kills the people, yeah. right? Uh, at the beginning of this incident, Engine 33 arrived on scene, but the 4-inch supply line could not be stretched to the hydrant due to the lack of staffing. Also, the first alarm companies had to perform rescue of building occupants, which required companies to be split up. Recommendation number five, Ensure that the tactical worksheet is used by command during initial fire ground operations and maintained throughout the incident. Tactical worksheet is a vital piece of equipment because it helps the incident commander organize the incident from the initial onset. Fire departments that provide a staff member uh, assistant or incident command technician, district chief or battalion chief has the ability of starting the tactical worksheet en route to the incident uh, because he's got a driver basically. In this incident, um, all districts, the SOP for this department is all district and deputy chiefs carry a tactical uh, worksheet designed to assist the incident commander with accountability during the early stages prior to the setup of a command board. It's just an abbreviated portable version of the full command board. They set the command board up. In this incident, car four arrived on scene with engine seven 
Incident Command Technician parked the vehicle across the street from the fire building. Engine 33 was already on scene and stretching the line in the front door. The Incident Command Technician donned his turnout gear and SCBA entered the building with Engine 7 and helped stretch Engine 7 hose line. Car 4 assumed command of the incident and as his ITC and Engine 7 entered the building, a violent change occurred. Conditions became untenable for the firefighters. They moved out of the building, landing in the front step, and soon after that, the officer of Engine 3 called a mayday. I think it would have been hard here to, especially with your driver ditching you and going in You're, the building. Yeah, and all but, these companies are coming. To, I mean, I wrote down some times here. In like five minutes, it went from Engine 33 on scene at 2.45, second alarm three minutes later, Mayday a minute later and on so on. Right. You it's can't. Down. You're not, this you're not keeping so up. It's instant. You're this not writing instant. that all yeah. down when, right. when you're you got a fire going bad in front right. of you. Yeah. And then you're calling in companies and yeah. other companies. I mean, you're you're calling the third alarm before the second alarm's there. Sure, it's easy to say, yeah, write everything down. Right. But in right. real life, I mean, sure, I guess that's your driver shouldn't go in, but. The nice, it's thing, tough. the nice thing in, in, uh, in our city is that dispatch keeps track of it. They write out the comments. It's, it's, I don't know if they have, I'm assuming they have a, like a, like a sure. computer laptop sure. or something right. where dispatch writes the comments. But whether they see it in the truck or not, that's the well, thing. Well, but that's right? something that's, that would aid that chief right, if right. you lost track of what if, you said or yeah, what exactly. you said or you what you were assigned. Mm -hmm. You can go back and you can. A good right. dispatch center. Because so if you're not writing it down, I forgot how many companies they ordered, right? Yes. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. But but like you say, it was so fast. Again, why was it so fast? Wind driven fire, nothing on the Charlie side, yeah. didn't have anybody there, right? The Project project Mayday research that they've done, uh, oh, so almost 10 years ago as well, uh, they said that most Maydays are called by the first arriving company within, within the first four minutes. Yeah. Yep. Right, and this fits fits right in there. Right? Exactly. That's when she yep. gets the fan, initial response there. They did call for personnel accountability at 1521, which was a long time after this was already down the road. Uh, and they didn't really understand how many people who was missing. They had the mayday, so they knew there was there was someone missing. They probably didn't know how many. Uh, and then they talked about Lunar. Uh, location unit assigned, which they had sort of that. They said front of the bis basement, uh, what yeah. unit they Nobody were. Nobody remembers kind of Luna when you were actually burning up. Right, they would say, right. who, where, what. That, yeah. That's exactly. all Exactly, which, right? which he did. Yeah. I mean, the basement, engine yeah. 33. They, who they were, they water. just couldn't make it there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Incident commander quickly called for more resources, conducted a PAR report as soon as he could. Uh, companies were lost and missing. Like, yeah, so they had all that. Uh, insert incident commander incorporates command safety into the incident management system. Again, this was so fast that uh, I don't think they had a chance with that. Uh, training program for, uh, you know, Firehorn should develop a training program. They had the command assistant, but if you got one guy and there's somebody running out of the house saying there weren't people in there, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm, I'm not sure if this is all contributing to this situation. It was really the right. hose line burned through, wind driven fire. It was only one company busy in there at that mm -hmm. point. So I don't know why they would blame the organization behind the incident command system. Maybe down the road there was some, some near misses, but overall it happened in the first four minutes. There's a chief there already. Yeah, so, they do say they should be wearing hoods, although hoods didn't contribute to the, their, the, the fatalities either. Yeah. You know, yes, yeah. it's good, but it really wouldn't have changed anything. 
uh, emergency operations, annual proficiency training. So I don't know why this was a recommendation, whether they had concerns with well, the tactics a little bit, they're too aggressive. Do that, right? Yeah. If they so, do an audit and say, hey, so how much did you train? We're like, right. I don't know. Right. Do these station training and you don't keep track. Yeah, so this is one recommendation they found from, from that. And then uh, large volume SCBA. This is an interesting one. So they had 30 minute, minute bolts, yeah. five high pressure cylinders. Yeah. And the recommendation came out that for multifamily dwellings, commercial high rise, they should go to yeah. 60 minute cylinders. Yeah. yeah. So that was a recommendation they had uh, 4,500 PSI, 30 minute cylinders. Um, and that they really, they should change to the higher capacity would have given them 20 more, 20 minutes work period. Maybe the other companies might've been able to get to them. I don't know. It was so hot in yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they ran out of air was the problem. No, what was, was the hot heat. heat. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. Um, standards, organization, manufacturers. Okay. So like, as we were saying, um, you know, the, the big recommendation here of course came out of this was the uh consider the effects of thermal degradation on fire hose this incident the engine three-quarter attack hose line used by engine 33 was burned through during the initial firefighting operation engine 33 had stretched the hose line down the stairs from the first floor into the basement through the office side placed the hose line in the flow path of the fire and superheated gases coming up the stairs the engine three-quarter hose line was burned through completely in two the two and a half inch hose line that engine seven stretched to the first floor was also severely damaged as well. So what I don't understand there is that fire was behind them because they are on and on and the hose burned through behind them. Behind them. How hot was it down there? Did they flow water? Did they not cool? Don't know. Like that kind of makes I'm no not, sense don't know. to me, I don't right? think they But it might not have had any effect. I don't think the water got to the nozzle. Charge it. I think oh, it burned because. Because I think, I don't, I maybe not in this NIOSH report, but I think I've heard a guys talk about it where he's saying, send me water, send me water, send me water. And the chauffeur's saying, you, got you water. have water. Yeah. Like, what What do you mean? Okay. So it happened yeah. behind them without them Right, without them knowing, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, it was maybe higher than them. In fact, I remember seeing something about it was actually higher than them because they were down in the basement and well, it was in the stairway. It, I think it said you go, they went up. And then outside down. And, in, and, then and then down and, then down. and it, yeah. where it burned so exactly where it burned was probably above their heads above, above, their heads. Yeah. above slash behind the them. another one i hope we haven't done that one yet um which is a fire that happened here in canada in another large metropolitan in winnipeg and the hose also ruptured in mm -hmm. that fire when the door in the garage opened up they had a severe wind-driven event upstairs in the stairway the hose burst and the pump operator he was like giving them all the water he could and they were calling for water, right? So, and they ended up getting another engine in there with another line to get the guys out. And some of the guys bailed out the, the window. Yeah, Lionel Peroldo, he uh, survived that one. Right, right. And I've listened yeah. to his talk a couple yeah, of times. Fantastic. And, and the hose line also failed. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we do need to be conscious that we have a lighter, all synthetic hose, whether it's usually nylon or polyester, um, it, they may be more susceptible to high heat. And of course, our fires are hotter. We all know that from all the research. The fires are, we're seeing, you know, 12, 1600 degree fires from all the combustibles in the, in the place. My question with this recommendation is how, how do you prepare for your hose melting? Well, 
mean, it's, it's the question of the hose, of course, and do the standards adequately? Sure. Do we make the but hose that's not, adequate? That's not this fire department. Right. Or that no, no, nothing to do. No, I mean, absolutely not. Yeah, all hose has to meet the same. But is right. the standard sure. adequate? Yeah, right. You don't see a lot of fabric hose in Europe. It's a rubber jacketed hose, right? Or nitrile. I haven't seen rubber sized uh, rubber hose in Germany ever. What's in Germany? Uh, France, it's fabric. It's, it's fabric. Same as like we here. Have. Yeah. Just like okay. here. I thought it was um, a rubber cover. You covered. see more in France, but then and I heard lots of England, the departments use that for the, the trash line. Because okay. that's the stuff you, you drag through dirt and, right. the, right, and then yeah, it's easy yeah. to clean, right? Right. So another one was code setting organizations regarding sprinklers and multifamilies, which okay. makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, I mean it's gonna be a battle forever though, getting people forever. to retrofit yep. a building. Yep. Exactly. So Anyway, well, a good good episode. Lots of great discussion, and uh, hopefully, uh, people will take a listen and enjoy it. And we'll be ready to make another one in a few weeks. Thanks for listening to the Emergency Traffic Podcast.